Hi all, welcome to Piano Writers and Works. My name is Holly Harland and in today's episode is Humble Haydn. Franz Joseph Haydn was born on the 31st of March 1732 in Rohrau, Austria. His father was a wheelwright, which is a craftsman who builds or repairs wooden wheels, and his mother, before marriage, was a cook for the lords of the village. Haydn early revealed unusual musical gifts, and a cousin of his was a school principal and choir master in the nearby city of Hainburg. He offered to take him in and train him. Haydn, not yet six years old, had left home never to return to the parental cottage except for rare brief visits. This is very sad to be separated at a young age. Although it was to pursue his talent, it came as a sacrifice. From the information given, it seems as though Haydn did not really establish a bond with his family. His life changed drastically when, at the age of eight, the music director of St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna invited him to serve as chorister at the Austrian capital's most important church. Haydn's parents accepted the offer and in 1740 Haydn moved to Vienna. He stayed at the choir school for nine years, acquiring enormous practical knowledge of music by constant performances, but to his disappointment, receiving little instruction in music theory. He had to work hard to fulfil his obligations as a chorister, and when his voice changed, he was expelled from both the cathedral choir and the choir school. Firstly, I find it a bit disheartening that he was not learnt music theory. However, there was or may still be that singers don't think it is necessary to learn music theory. This is not something that I believe and do not want to discourage those that are singers as I know that many are taught music and music theory. When I was studying my degree in my first year one of the modules was music theory and the end assignment was to explore if music theory was important to learn as there were merge of music and musical theatre students in the class. In my report, I stated that music theory is important for musicians and musical theatre practitioners because it extends our knowledge and is an essential aspect in gaining and getting a better career in either profession. Music theory allows musicians and musical theatre practitioners to apply a range of techniques in order to communicate with an audience as performing is part of the profession. For example, both careers incorporate rhythm within their instrument. Most musical theatre practitioners are singers and have to understand the note forms such as crotchet quavers, sembreves, and so on. This is important for practitioners and musicians as the 
duration of the notes on a score are to keep the performer in time with an accompaniment or working as an ensemble. I understand that Haydn was quite young at this point of his career, but to not even learn some of the most basic elements of theory I find quite strange, especially if they wanted him to pursue a good life and career. Secondly, it must have been devastating if he was working hard to become a chorister to then be banned from church as his voice changed and developed as he was growing up, which is an unfortunate part of life. With no money and few possessions, Haydn, at the age of 17, was left to his own devices. He found refuge for a while in the garret of a fellow musician and supported himself miserably with odd musical jobs. He meanwhile undertook an audacious course of self-introduction through the study of musical works, notably those of Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach and of leading manuals of musical theory. A fortunate chance brought him to the attention of an Italian composer and singing teacher, Nicola Popara, who accepted him as a accompanist for voice lessons and corrected Haydn's compositions. I'm very glad that Haydn did not give up on himself, especially at a difficult time for himself. You know, he had no money, the church had abandoned him, no security and occupation, very little education. However, this does not stop him in becoming the best he could as he self-taught himself which shows that he had initiative, he was driven and knew what needed to be done to be successful. Haydn worked his way up the ranks to royalty when invited to enter the service of Prince Paul and Tel Esterhazy. The Esterhazys were one of the most wealthy and influential families of the Austrian Empire and they boasted a distinguished record of supporting music. Haydn became an assistant conductor in 1761 at the age of 29. He conducted the orchestra and singers in almost daily rehearsals, composed most of the music required and served as chief of the musical personnel. Haydn carried out his duties extremely well and revealed tact, good nature and skill in dealing with people. From his first symphonies written for the Esterhazys, Haydn displayed his characteristic good humour and wit, as well as the dependable freshness of his musical ideas, although full maturity would come much later. His employment by the Esterhazy family proved decisive for his career, and he remained in their service until his death. A great story that displays his character in regarding the performance of Symphony Number no. 45. His musicians were fed up with the Prince's needless drawn-out summer sojourn, which is a stay as a temporary resident in Hungary, as they wanted to go home to their families. Yet the prince insisted 
on yet another symphony. Haydn's response was a new work with a final movement during which the musicians, one by one, were instructed to stop playing and snuff their candle on the way out. By the end, only two violinists remained and the work became known as the Farewell Symphony. The prince got the message and announced their departure the next day. Haydn was a prolific composer for piano alone. He wrote 47 piano sonatas and 29 trios for piano. This does not take into consideration how many symphonies, string quartets, oratorios, operas and the many more compositions of music that he wrote. It is speculated that most of Haydn's piano works were performed on the clavichord, as it's highly unlikely that there was a piano in the SRC until the arrival of Stein's pianos in Vienna in the 1780s. Nonetheless, the harpsichord would have been commonly used for playing Haydn's mature sonatas. We do not know when Haydn exactly had the piano in mind for his compositions, However, we do know that he purchased a new piano from Wenzel Schnauz in 1788 to aid his composition. Haydn's piano sonatas are often overshadowed by Beethoven and Mozart. It would be difficult to overstate Haydn's importance to the new style of classical and therefore to the future of Western art music as a whole. At the time before Mozart or Beethoven, and with J.S. Bach, no primarily to experts of keyboard music, Haydn reached a place in music that set him above all other composers, except perhaps Handel. He took existing ideas and radically altered how they functioned, earning him the titles Father of the Symphony, and father of the string quartet. However, not father of sonata. This could be due to Scarlatti embracing the first use of the sonata, which I covered in the previous podcast episode, or possibly that he spread himself too thin within composition, and possibly the quantity outdid the quality for sonatas. Many of his early sonatas were written for his students. By the 1760s and 1770s, his writing had become more passionate, especially in the later sonatas. Haydn was particularly inspired by C.P. Bach, whose motifs he often mimicked 
including upwards arpeggios at the end of movements. An immensely spirited composer, Haydn is also renowned for playing tricks on the listener, including the false ending in which the listener believes the piece to be drawing to a close, only for the music to start up again in an unrelated key. The earlier sonatas were written for the harpsichord. It wasn't until 1771 with sonata number 20 that Haydn used dynamic markings, suggesting the music could be played on the forte piano. This marked the beginning of Haydn's use of the Viennese classical style, which Beethoven then adopted before venturing into Romanticism.
in sonata number 20, it incorporates the standard sonata form, opens with an exposition, a first subject with the thirds in dotted rhythms, following by falling minor six chords. It gives a very melancholy melody that forces the harmony to resolve in the fifth degree as an interrupted cadence twice in the first four bars. The first bar is imitated in the left hand of the third bar, whilst there is a little flourishment of trills in the right. The dynamic marks that implied that it would be played in the forte piano is that there is a interval fifth passage in the right hand and each note has a different dynamic marking which is given to the individual note moving between piano to forte on each quaver note this would have been difficult to achieve on a harpsichord due to the mechanism of plucking at the same energy input before starting into the secondary theme the Haydn asks to play a dominant chord deployed note by note. This is after the adagio of the group of 13 quavers. The slowness of breaking a chord each individual note we usually see at the end of a romantic piano piece, usually as a nice glissando or writ. I would imagine that the new sound on the forte piano to someone's ears would have been very explosive since it would have been either a very dramatic or harsh sound on the harpsichord. The secondary theme starts playing in E flat major with descendant short values. However, then the tension begins to rise and the right hand climbs steeply, establishing the sextuplet semiquaver as a new rhythmic measure to add up a background with refreshing counter melodies. Following the traditional structure, the development starts precisely like the exposition, but now on a secondary key, E flat major, which is the relative major. The melody sounds different and a bit dreamlike under the new primary basis. Some broken octaves um, between hands and very uncommon chords during this scene. After playing the secondary theme a few times in keys as such as B, the B flat minor or E flat minor, there's a fierce modulation trying to impose their strength over the rest. We will see the harmony go through places that had never been explored before, um, leading back to C minor. Before the recapitulation, an intense and loud parallel motion passage is displayed. Afterwards, there are several turns, uh, recycling some of the material, um, and we go back to the main theme. The recapitulation happens at bar 69, after repeating just the first four bars, and changes happen immediately after reaching a very intense section. The transition continues in a remarkable similar fashion to the exposition, just preparing to reach the secondary theme, this time in C minor. 
we can see that Haydn develops a 2-5-1 in a very fancy manner, stretching the second degree in between hands and then reaching the keynotes on important rhythm moments on the adagio on the right hand. On the next bar, it gradually is note by note, building to a flat ninth to add more tension and drama. There is no doubt that Haydn was one of the most important figures to the development of the classical style. He dominated most of the century with his instrumental works to establish classical form as we now know it, which is an efficient process of asserting and developing contrastic thematic material. Although Haydn's piano music is not celebrated as much as his symphony work, his sonatas are very enjoyable to play. With some of them, his character is definitely reflected in his music with his flair and wit, which is usually expressed through what you couldn't particularly produce on harpsichord, you know, through dynamics, through expression, through articulation. He lived a long life as he passed away on the 31st of May 1809 in Vienna at the age of 77. Especially as at the beginning of this month, Napoleon had bombed some of his neighbourhood, having launched an attack in Vienna. Haydn was a true representation of the Enlightenment. This was an intellectual movement of the late 17th and 18th century, emphasising reason and individualism rather than tradition. It was reasonable for Haydn to enjoy the spoils of his success. It was reasonable to live a creative life and be rewarded for it. It was reasonable to be treated as an equal. Haydn was a humble man whose good character and success justify each other. Thank you all for listening to Piano Writers and Works. Don't forget to follow on social media at hrh.music on Instagram and TikTok to get the exclusive behind the scenes. See you all in the next episode. Bye.